This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Welcome to the first episode. I know, don't clap. You don't have to clap inside of your own house or your car or wherever you are because I can't hear you and I need your applause to live. The first episode of Blockbuster Film School. I'm your lovely host, Alex Bonner, brought to you with your other fabulous host, the very handsome Mr. Nick Alas Souder. Hello. Hello. <laughs> we both were uh, I'm having fun. I'm, ha- I'm having a good time. We were both employees of Blockbuster Video, so. I also went to film school. Nick sort of went to film school. I sort of just sold drugs to the film school absolutely, kids. Absolutely. I also Same sold, thing. I also sold drugs while I worked at Blockbuster Video. Yeah. Through the return slot occasionally. Nice. I didn't do that, though, police. If there's a statute of limitations that allows you to say if that you I did. you did something at Blockbuster Video while they were still open, you you got away with <laughs> You're good it. to go now. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> also, long past. I definitely also just sort of like gave things away. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. All that gum and candy that sat in the front that no one wanted. If we there was, would just encourage people to break something. I was like, it's damaged. I can't sell I that. I can't sell that. You can yeah. just have that. Absolutely. Although there were a lot of... I. Worked with a guy who would walk up and lick the gummy bear things and then put them back on him. He was a weird dude. Anyways, yeah, he, was a, he had spiky hair. Never trust people with spiky hair, especially if it's not 1988. Or know. if they're fronting Power Man 5000. <laughs> exactly. Well, we are going to teach you some things about film while we don't drink alcohol, kayfabe. So we are doing directorial debuts yes. directorial debuts so we were just talking what were we talking about michael Samino. <laughs> you have to be careful because if your first movie is too good then they give you more money <laughs> you have all the responsibility exactly so if you make the deer hunter and win best picture with your first movie then you go crazy you're doomed you find out what cocaine is like and then you make a four hour long movie that's about i don't know i only got through like the first 35 minutes and basically lost my mind yeah you know, or what was that guy's name? The guy who directed the Fantastic Four, what were we talking about? Oh, Josh Trank. Josh Trank. That's the other problem. If you make like a $10 million movie and then they let you take a budget of like $100 million. Absolutely. You need to do baby steps. Same with Dickie Kelly, too. Although oh, he's on my list. Dickie Kelly's definitely on my list of ones, but I would say I still really like Donnie Darko. I still Don, think. Donnie Darko's on my list, not for that reason. No, you don't like Donnie Darko? No, oh. not at all. <laughs> I'm very upset with him. I'm not going to lie. Um, huge Southland Tales fan. Really? Yes. I mean, it is pretty great. It's the only English-speaking Spanish telenovela I know of. That's true. It's also sort of a Bollywood movie. At That's any, true also. At yeah. any moment, people just start singing. I'm supposed to be intimidated by John Lovitz. He's uh, intimidating. That's true. The Rock He's gets, very creepy. The Rock got a tattoo for that movie that he actually has. He's a method actor. <laughs> He's one no of our types. greatest. He studied Stanislavski. <laughs> <laughs> He went to Juilliard. I actually really like the idea of Dwayne The Rock Johnson like taking Juilliard classes and then just people's elbowing people <laughs> if he doesn't like what they say to him. We should always make that movie when this podcast. That's where most WWF wrestlers, they, yeah, they got a traditional you know, method acting. Absolutely. The Rock, Beetlejuice. Which goes into my other one. Juilliard. A personal favorite of mine, Hulk Hogan's first movie, No Holds Barred. Which, Did you direct that? I don't know who directed that, to tell you the honest truth. I should probably look that up. But I know that him and Vince McMahon hold themselves up in a hotel room, did cocaine for a weekend, and wrote it. I'm going to guess Vince McMahon was the one typing. Because there's no way Hulk was Hulk just yelling things from the bathroom. All right, listen, brother. Uh, in this scene, he uh, he yells at a guy until he shits his pants. Which I imagine, which is a real thing that happens in that movie. 
Of course it is. It's absolutely, it's fabulous to tell you the truth. I think we're going to go through some categories here. Yeah, we uh, got some lists. We have some structure, and we're going to start, should we start with our favorites or go with the most underrated or overrated? Hmm, I'm going to say we're going to go with the most underrated. Underrated. Absolutely. And then we'll do favorites and they'll do overrated because then we can shit on people at the end. Yeah. Because we're better than them. We know how to make movies better than you they do. You worked at Blockbuster. That's God, right. I know how to operate a video camera. Yeah. I know I how directed to... directed Transformers 5. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah. So, let's start with underrated. Nick, what's one of the more underrated directorial <clears throat> debuts? I'm not going in any real order. Okay. My entire note system is written on a napkin from it really is. from Angela's in Lincoln Park. <laughs> I don't endorse Lincoln Park, by the way. It's just where I was at the moment. I'm going to go out the bat. R.I.P. Bill Paxson with mm-hmm. Frailty. Absolutely. Solid. Yeah. And um, have some... Uh, Nude scenes with Katie Holmes, right? I think in that movie, or am I making that up? I think you're making that up. I is probably that real? made that. I thought so. Is Brails? she in that? Yeah, pretty sure Katie Holmes is in that. Not that I follow Katie Holmes' entire career. Uh, Frailty's really good, and yeah. Paxton getting weird with it. And Super weird, and like great twists in that movie. Did Paxton direct anything else after that? He did not. Yeah, just I don't think so. Movie. One and out. He just yelled at everyone during Twister and told them what to do. Yeah, by that point, Jan de Bont was just a bag of cocaine. <laughs> oh, my God. And the hair. The <laughs> hair was glorious. I need more pictures. We need to take some more images of their feet. We need more shots of people's feet. Jan, stop. Nobody like little feet. I want to look at them. Okay, okay, calm down. Also, your Tarantino impression also? Tarantino has a foot fetish and Jan de Bont. If you're watching a Jan de Bont movie, there is a lot of feet. There is a little... I think the beginning of Speed 2 is like it starts with like a shot of Sandy Bullock's... Like You actually watched Speed Sand- 2? Of course, man. Of course. It's a classic. You know, it's on the cruise boat. You know, it's going fast. You can't really tell how fast it's going, but that'll be good for Speed 2. That's my Jan Devant. It is a pitch-perfect rendition of Jan Devant's voice. Yeah, no, I like Frailty a lot. Yeah, very creepy. Great horror movie. Absolutely. What was that, like 2001-ish? Something, Something, yeah. Something like that. When I worked at Blockbuster, it was already one of the favorites. Absolutely. Which means it's not on the new release wall. <laughs> did, you, did you have a little section where, was your Blockbuster cool unless you have, like, employee picks? We did eventually. I was the manager, so I was like just walking around, looking at things, fixing the shelves. Some dude walks up to me. I'm like, you need help finding anything? He goes, no, I'm just browsing. He goes, you're on the wall? I go, yeah, I'm Nick. I'm right there. He goes, let me check this out. Looks across my movies, looks at me. He goes, you smoke a lot of weed, don't you? I go, yes, I do. He goes, I'm taking all your movies. <laughs> that was uh, the highest compliment I've ever been given. And that man was future President George W. Bush. We had that privilege taken away from us several times in which, for instance, they'd be like, oh, employee picks. And I would put Caligula, you know, something classy like yeah. that. They were like, which, of course, was the R-rated version, which is bullshit because Blockbuster would never allow any. Blockbuster Action. cut out the threesome scene from Wild Things. That's right. That's right. But you could still see Kevin Bacon hang dong, which I found very hilarious. Uh, yeah. It's like, oh, Denise Richards make it out with, you know. Nev Campbell. Yes. I was <laughs> Uh, you go back to Katie Holmes, I, weren't you? I was going to say Party of Five. I couldn't remember. That works. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we would have that taken away. The Blockbuster I worked at was run by morons, including myself. And that's a really deep cut. I appreciate that in terms of overrated movies. Mine, I was going to do like I was going to do like Blood Simple. Okay, see, I felt the same way, but I felt like putting that on the list was... Honestly, I just figured you were going to put it on the list. Yeah, yeah, I know. I it's know. I'm it's fucking great. It's Cohen. It's great. It's an amazing Cohen movie, and it's... It still to this day, I think, stands up as maybe one of their best thrillers. And it started me off. I was like, who are these dudes? This whole like hyper violent, really weird sort of 
like really kind of crazy, different sort of philosophical concepts. I don't know. Which one is it? The one who directs the violence of Ethan or Joel? Joel's the funny one. I don't know. I think I think it's Joel. <laughs> do they do that thing like in Dead Ringers where they they just pretend to be the other one and like sleep with the same woman and stuff? I think Frances McDormand would be a very different person <laughs> if that was happening to her. <laughs> just wait a minute. I know which one you is. One of them has a tattoo. They, when they put their tattoos together, it like glows. But anyway, like Constantine. Con- <laughs> <laughs> you got any other on your list? You got you got other underrated uh, movies? I, uh, Come on, napkin list. I don't don't yell at the napkin. <laughs> the napkin did nothing to you. Uh, got to pick one. I know, I know. I can't read my writing. You know what? One I like was I'm a big fan of John Millis, right? Which his name is sometimes pronounced John Milnes, as though he has an N. Which I sort of directed Conan and Red Dawn, and famously got thrown out of Hollywood for like pointing guns at people because he's a lunatic. But he directed a movie called Dillinger in 1973. About the band Dillinger Escape Plan? It was entirely <laughs> screamo band Dillinger Escape Plan. Thank you for a deep cut of that. Um, <laughs> but it had like Cloris Leachman in it and Warren Oates and stuff. But oh, it's, this is it's, a great cast. It's honestly, it's way better than, as much as I love Michael Mann, it's a way better John Dillinger movie. It's for the sake of the podcast. Yeah. Let's just pretend Michael Mann didn't make any more movies after The Insider. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm fine with that. Because, yeah, what was that? Black Hat or whatever? Black Hat, I fell asleep in the theaters. Also, I mean, was that Josh Hartnett or Thor? I can't remember. It was Thor. It was Thor. Okay. Yeah. Josh Hartnett is exclusively signed to a Showtime deal. <laughs> was the movie with him and Harrison Ford where they hated each other and Harrison Ford wanted to murder him the entire time? Hollywood Homicide. Yes, of course. Yeah. A classic film. I also feel it's like a kiss of death if you put the word Hollywood in your movie. Oh, yeah. Doc Hollywood, anybody? Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to see that. I'm just trying to think of a movie with the word Hollywood in it that anyone would want to see. Hollywood video? Eat that, you sucker bastards. You went down way before Blockbuster. It's true. That's true. I'm not going to lie, though. I liked being high in Hollywood video way more than Blockbuster. And they would sell you the NC-17 Caligula, rent it to you, I suppose, which is the judgment I had the entire time. But anyway, oh, so Dillinger. Dillinger is a dope movie. First of all, in 1973, there still was a lot of locations in Chicago that were from the era. And also, it's completely bananas. It's that classic Milnes. But it's all the awesome stuff about him where it's really cool dialogue, very like this really sort of spookily tough dialogue, like not well-paced and not goofy over-the-top action sequences. Like when things actually go down and there are actual fight scenes and gun battles and stuff, it's really cool looking and the sound is really cool. Yeah, so I, it, John Millis's first movie, Dillinger, is is awesome. It's really worth it. If you can find it, I mean, that's the other thing too. I, I'm sure it's on probably Amazon Prime or something, but or I'm sure you can look for it on like, like eBay or something on VHS. I don't know, but, but yeah, the... <laughs> So, all right. Oh, yeah, go for it. I'm going real deep cut. Deep cuts. Uh oh. This is going to be like one of the fucking Jake, Muppet movies. Jake Kasdan, okay. Zero Effect. Ooh, I don't, I've never seen this. So, Zero Effect is a like neo noir comedy, sort of. Cool. Directed by him, who is, of course, Lawrence Kasdan's son. So, Bill Pullman plays the world's greatest private detective who is just. All OCD'd out. He's full of cocaine. He's full of drugs. He's like, he's agoraphobic. He could barely do his job at all. As soon as he's given jobs, he figures it out. Ben Stiller's in it, like in an early Ben Stiller performance that I actually liked. Oh, yeah. It doesn't explain things out to the audience. It okay. just lets you discover it as the characters realize what's going on. I wonder if that's like genetic of just sort of the Kazdan writing, like, or maybe just that idea, because I feel like that's him and his dad's writing is really solid about that, not telling you too yeah. much and not, not treating you like a moron, which I really 
liked about like the Empire Strikes Back and stuff that you could very easily make this really dumbed down and you didn't. He always was he was like Lindelof with like some payoff to him, I guess. Yeah, that's I don't know. perfect, actually. Yeah. In the movie, there's this really great sequence where you actually get to see how awesome of a detective he is, where they go to this city, they're trying to do this case, and he gets to he's following somebody by being ahead of that person. And it's really well written. It's very clever. It's got a very, it's not like a happy ending, right. but it's realistic enough to it's where a noir you, ending. yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, it's worth checking out. It's very I good. Wonder. Yeah. Okay. It's called zero zero effect. Zero effect. Okay. Dope. I will definitely check that out, and you should check that out. Part of this is you should just watch whatever we tell you to watch. Whatever we're saying right now, and you haven't seen it, you should be watching it. With the exception of that Michael Cimino movie, you should not yeah, be watching no. it. No, 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 no. This is also just career advice. That's true. Also, we're kind of taking the bullet here, too. We're, you know, getting kicked in the nuts of movies. You're like, should I watch Citizen Kane? Yes, dummy, you should watch Citizen Kane. Obviously, of directorial debuts. It's the first postmodern movie. It's the first movie that changed. It's the first modern Hollywood movie. It's the first modern movie ever, to be quite honest. It goes through time. Orson Welles is a genius. Uh, he's a lunatic. He directed Citizen Kane. Orson Welles directed Citizen Kane. Isn't that weird? I always thought it was Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> it was that guy. That, it was fucking Mickey Rooney. Say it again for 75 times. <laughs> I'm Mickey Rooney. I was once the number one star in the world. Yeah, Mickey Rooney's version was way different. It was way more racist and involved him with like buck teeth and like uh, doing the Asian. I'm not gonna do the Asian accent. I'm not. That road. I will just side subject real quick. People, particularly people who are like middle aged women in suburbia, love Breakfast at Tiffany's, and they're like Breakfast. It's on all these lists. It's like one of the best movies of all time. That has directly maybe the most racist character in the history of cinema in it, where Mickey Rooney is doing Charlie Chan, like, more racist than Jar Jar Banks, more racist than, like, the self-aware Leonardo DiCaprio character in Django Unchained. Like, it is unabashedly racist, and yet it's always, like, in, like, the top 25 of, like, AFI's best movies of all time, and, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I just, I don't I, People... In Hollywood, are willing to literally forgive anything. That's very true. And don't get me wrong. You could drop a helicopter on Rob Morrow and two <laughs> Vietnamese kids who are being paid under the table, and they'll let you direct another movie five years later. Uh, yeah, but they did kind of cut you off there. Also, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love. Wait, Landis was that too. a pun? <laughs> I he's referencing was John dark. Landis and how John Landis accidentally killed some people. The buddy of his, who was like the helicopter pilot guy, said he could get a cooler helicopter. And he was like, Landis was like, cool, because it was the 80s, and I guarantee he was like high as shit on cocaine. And he was like, cool, get the other helicopter. And then the other guy, they A, didn't have the insurance for it, and B, the other guy didn't really know how to fly it. So, and then he crashed it. And of course, Hollywood was more mad that they didn't have the insurance for it. So they had to pay like $100 million. And that was really what blackballed Landis, because if they would have had the insurance, it would have crashed. It'd be like, well, shit happens. But I forget which studio that crushed. It was something. It was like, TriStar, maybe? They made movies after that. Well, I know, but they got kicked in the nuts pretty hard. It was one of the major studios. It's kind of like how, um, you know, different houses, like United Artists got crushed out by a... We'll have a flop episode, but how Pluto Nash destroyed a 100-year-old movie studio that was created by Charlie Chaplin by the fact that it cost $100 million to make and ended up making, I think, to this day, like $6 million bucks. Yeah. Like, ruined everyone's career except for Eddie Murphy who managed to only come back because he's perfect for being the voice of an ass. But yeah, so what do you got on your list? Underrated still? Yeah, let's do one more underrated. Underrated. I'm going to do two real fast. They're they're right next to each other on this list. 
Steve Buscemi Trees Lounge. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, it's he is so, one of my favorite actors. It's though. amazing. Yes, wrote, directed it. Him driving around in an ice cream truck, being an alcoholic, making out with Chloe Seventy. Yes. But it's creepy because she is a teenager in that. But they address how creepy it is. It's real creepy. But yeah. she is also just sort of like a sad, like Bukowski esque mm. alcoholic story, which is pretty <laughs> of course great. You would like though. This. Huh? Of course you would like this. Yeah, you know, just uh, <laughs> hold on a second. I need to sip uh, my whiskey. I like a movie where Chloe Sveni gets weird and everyone's <laughs> drunk as shit. Yeah. And she the is. other one, Brown Bunny, Larry Clark, kids. Larry Clark, yeah. 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 Also, uh, directorial debut. Yes. Andrew. Nicole, I don't know. Andrew Nicole, yeah, yeah. He directed Gattaca. Fuck yeah, he did. That Gattaca was on my, a great fucking movie. That's spooky. That's why we love each other. Uh, that's why we're best friends. Best friends until we die. And if one of us dies, we have to be buried with the other one, even if we're alive. Um, just, I said I it on. I said it on a podcast. That's crying. legally binding. That's legally binding. Luckily, you scream so loud. Taps is going to edit out the last <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> legally binding. So I will not be buried alive. Legally binding. You have to be buried with me when I die. But. Gattaca is absolutely Gattaca one of my favorite movies. Perfect, yeah. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it's an amazing movie. It's amazing noir. Yeah. It, also, like it's one of the few movies where there is a lot of exposition and a voiceover, but it's sort of seamless and eerily prescient as well. Yeah. Of like it's so good, all the weird stuff with genetical and sort of just like the weird puritanical sort of concepts that are sort of appearing again in society and how people are supposed to behave and this kind of thing. And also, I think it was kind of the first time I ever saw Jude Law. I think he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for that movie, too. Yeah, the movie's amazing. And also what, just... Titan I, like this time? Titan. Titan's like this. I just randomly think about that movie, like, sometimes, where it's just... They're in the water at the end. He's like, I never saved anything for the swim back. Hell yeah. So good. Hell yeah. Eat that shit. You know, that's Ken Marino's first movie. Is that Ken Marino? Ken Marino's in there. Holy crap. I didn't process that. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. And that movie's produced by Danny DeVito. The Seed, Ken Marino. Holy. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy with that because also, I think, is that the first Ethan Hawke Thurman movie? That's where they met. Yeah. Interesting. And then they did um, Tape? Yeah. 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 That was good. Although there's a great link later. The Slacker. Slacker, yeah. No, that's not his first one. It's not, technically. Yeah, but. his first one's It's Impossible to Learn How to Plow by Reading Books. Okay. Which they that included on the Criterion collection of Slacker. It is <laughs> just David so Link- fucking boring. I got David Linklater like like called the president of Criterion. He was like, uh, hey, it's me, uh, uh, Billy Linklater. And uh, guess what? Uh, uh, yeah, put, put all my movies on the Criterion. They were like, yes, sir, Mr. Linklater. And then they hung up the phone. And now School of Rock is on the Criterion collection. <laughs> oh, God. I wish it, it could be. No one would bat an eye if School of Rock was on the credit. Mike White. Oh, he's great. Chuck and Buck, right? Chuck and Buck, yeah. yeah that's a great scare movie. That's an amazing debut yeah. movie. Yeah, these are good. I mean, these are deep cuts. So let's go into like favorites of like the big time, just kind of big time. Yeah, I mean, because obviously every decade or at least like every four or five years is defined by like a directorial debut, at least in terms of Hollywood. Like the early 90s is basically Reservoir Dogs. Because it would take a minute. It would obviously take until Pulp Fiction. But there's movies that came out before Reservoir Dogs, and then there's movies that came out after Reservoir Dogs. You mean you mean like City on Fire? City on Fire. Sure. <laughs> sure. What was that Chai Yun Fat and uh, John Woo? Yeah. Yeah, that is John Woo, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I personally don't enjoy movies where there are slow motion pigeons. I kind of hated uh, Mission oh, Impossible I'm sorry. 2. Ex- How many times did we watch Face Off? Oh, well, <laughs> was, all right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Face I up. was literally late for work so many Fa- times <laughs> that I had to tell my. He's like, "Why are you late today?" I'm like, "I was I, watching Face Off." He goes, "I want to take the Nicolas Cage one." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "All right, go back to work." Off. 
<laughs> the fact the titular line is a improv line while Nicolas Cage was just being weird yeah. is okay. All right, John Woo has that, and also my personal favorite is in the commentary on the DVD. There's a part where one of the writers is talking to John Woo, and they talk about how they put a microchip in their voice box. <laughs> they put a microchip in their voice box in order to change their voice. And John Woo goes, yeah, that's um, the kind of thing that I think they could do these days. And the writer literally says to him, he goes, that was actually just a thing we didn't know what to say, and that's nonsense. We just never came up with a better line, and it went through like eight rewrites and still in there. Put a microchip on your larynx, it's not going to do shit. <laughs> and, I, and then John Woo goes, well, there you have it. <laughs> So, science from John Woo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. All right. You're right. But but he is not forgiven for Mission Impossible 2, okay? Particularly for choosing the Fred Durst Limp Biscuit version of the Mission Impossible theme song. <laughs> Thought we could get through one din, episode din, without din, mentioning din, Limp Biscuit. Mission Impossible, baby. Yeah, that happened. That was a whole thing. You're right, though. I mean, it's crazy how John Woo had an entire... You're right. John Woo, obviously, his style allowed the Michael Bays of the world to exist, which also Michael Bay... Bad boys. Bad boys. I mean, let's face it, to come in that hot, because we could also, like, you know, THX... THX wasn't that good. That's on my list. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. THX is pretty good, but, I mean, American Graffiti is better, but THX is, I don't know, in my opinion. (laughs) You know. I appreciate that him and Opie hate each other now. I'll crush you like a bug. Crush you like a bug. Just so you know, for all of our millions of fans who listen to this podcast, there's going to be a lot of talk of George Lucas and his weird antics. We should definitely do just a George Lucas episode. Can I sit that one out? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You have to listen to me. You can talk about THX. But I agree with you of like John Woo and Michael. I feel like in the 90s, they were taking risks on sort of younger directors because they had gotten to this point where things had kind of staled and they just were... And the ones... Also, like... The Weinstein's... Yeah, you know, but also like independent about them, but... film was like, you know, mm-hmm. actually independent film instead of big movie houses like going, right. here's some money. If you lose this, the tax write-off is worth more than the film. Absolutely. There was a lot of like $5 million movies, which they like don't even make anymore. And as much as a scumbag as Harvey Weinstein is, we've talked about this before, but the idea just of the Weinstein company or Miramax and that idea of them taking the idea from the Go-Go Brothers of Canon Films and being like, why don't we just do that but with good films and good directors and give everyone two to five million bucks, never make a movie more than that. And, you know, and Harvey Weinstein will literally just ogre his way in and demand that people, oh, you don't want to distribute my movie? Well, uh, I'm going to try and uh, beat you up or uh, sexually harass you until you do, uh, which is bad, but... Don't defend anything. I'm let's not just, defending I'm not defending Let's it. just go into the list. But it's all, I mean... It gets weird because you, you have to bring it up. Sexual harassment and nightmarish behavior and racism. This is like the history of Hollywood. And the reason Weinstein was allowed to behave like that for so long was because he was the rabbi for so many people like Soderbergh and Tarantino. And, you know, I mean, how many people came out of Miramax? I mean, P.T. Anderson just literally like, yeah, it wasn't Miramax, wasn't the, uh, was was Boogie Nights? No, I don't think so. What was that? Was that Paramount? I don't remember. Probably. Yeah, okay. You're lying. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> These are lies perpetrated by the Miramax. You're working for the Weinsteins. That's Cut right. that out. <laughs> no, okay. Well, what's another big dog on the list of the uh, directorial debuts? I'm going to go with uh, Toby Hooper. Oh, Texas hell- Chainsaw Massacre. Fuck yeah. Classic. I mean, he really didn't direct Poltergeist. No, Spielberg Steve, did. Spielberg yeah, yeah, so he sort of dropped off real hard yeah, after Life that. Force is bad. It's watchable, but it's, it's not watchable. good. 
Poltergeist is the only movie that the Go-Go Brothers ever made with Canon Films that really became like a breakout across the board hit other than like breaking <laughs> and breaking to <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Uh, yeah, but no, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is perfect. It's The cinematography on that is, you can teach a whole semester on the cinematography of that. Did it come out before Halloween? It did. It did. Four so, years before. Absolutely. So, I mean, those are the two movies that redefine yeah. that entire genre because that's also John Carpenter there because Halloween's his first movie. No, Dark Star. Oh, Dark Star, which is about buttholes. <laughs> we all know. It's love of just the proctology yeah. movie. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, to give Tobe Hooper his credit, my name is Tobe Hooper. Um, yeah, that definitely redefined the entire genre. You didn't yeah. have slasher films. They, like, didn't exist. I guess you had Psycho, but that didn't really count. That's interesting. Also, like, they had no money on that. They had no sound crew. They had no musicians. So all the music in there, which is super, like, iconic and creepy, like yeah. these sounds and these squeals, they just did that in their house with whatever they could find. Jesus. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. Oh, weird. You know, and that's interesting then with, like, Halloween because it's just Carpenter with, yeah. his, with his synth. Synth like, an hour and, like, a <laughs> whole big bag of weed. <laughs> And is and a bunch of hair ties for his skullet. Yeah. You know, you gotta oh. make sure to keep the keep the skullet nice. He wasn't full skullet then. No, that's but true. In my imagination, he, he was the, born with the I skullet. I will say though, he is the only human being I've ever seen to really pull off the skullet. Like it's oh, yeah. it's choice. Just rock we had that synth barely oh. playing when his son take the lead. <laughs> I'm gonna hire you other guys to do this. Uh that is my uh, John Carpenter impression. Um yeah, no, the what else you got? I'm curious about your your napkin list. I like this. Okay. Um the big one, I want to make sure I mispronounce this completely. Oh, yeah. Katsuhiro Otomo. Mm-hmm. Akira. Katsuhiro Otomo. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Akira. It's perfect. It's amazing. It's absolutely it's, the best animated movie of all time. Yeah, it's barely... I don't even think of it as an animated movie. Well, not anime. I mean, like, just... No, I mean that, too. Like, it yeah. flows it's, so naturally. Also, I found out that's the first animated movie ever to do 24 frames a second. At Whoa. the time, Disney was doing 12. And these were all hand-drawn. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's really like, I mean, the look of it. It's just got this this flow yeah. to it. And the music. The music, the color. They had to invent 16 colors. If you've never seen Akira, you need to just stop what you're doing right now. Stop listening to this podcast. Just watch Akira. Watch the subtitled version with the Japanese. Yeah. The dubbed version is comically insane. I'm sure there's probably maybe a better dubbed version now, but the 80s dubbed version sounds like it's a the Ninja Turtles are the characters. And it uh, also like totally dumps out the natural noise of the background. Yes, absolutely. Although, yeah, I noticed that too, because we went and saw at the Music Box, which yeah. is awesome theater here in Chicago, and they had a 35-millimeter print. So beautiful. So beautiful, but I did notice that even when I saw it in like VHS, which I got from Blockbuster as a child, when I was like eight years old, and they were just like, yeah, you could rent this shit. Who cares? You know, and so there was quite a bit of the, uh, yeah, like weird sounds and sound effects that are just gone. Just dropped from the just soundtrack. Done. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, catch your Atomo for sure, man. Yeah, it's That's just out the door hit. Just huge. Changed everything and yeah. influenced thousands of movies after that. Yeah, yeah. I got Louis Mel, Elevator to the Gallows. David Wayne's Wet Hot American Summer. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Edgar Wright, Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah, well, I was going to put that on my list. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead. Edgar Wright, Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Well, what masterpiece. I was, masterpiece. I wouldn't say masterpiece. I would say his masterpiece, in my opinion, is... His yeah, opus is, is Hot Fuzz. Hot, Scott, I mean, Scott Pilgrim I am is, not a huge fan of Scott Pilgrim. Really? Yeah. I love Scott Pilgrim. I, I think it's his best made movie. Mm. 
visually, but I don't think it's his best movie. Interesting. Interesting. I could have been blinded because Ewan McGregor's girlfriend is very attractive in that movie. And I have a weird soft spot for Kiri Culkin and for Egg, also very attractive in that movie. But in the same way we were talking about how Tarantino and Wu and Bay really kind of changed the 90s. And after that, everyone, you know, they were given like Richard uh, Avery, a goddamn movie contract. And they were let Brett Rettner direct movies because he kind of was like Michael Bay. And they were just kind of doing. You mean like bloated on coke yeah but also just these like overheated moronic action movies or these like twisty sort of sardonic violent thriller movies you know i would say Shaun of the dead is one of these movies that in the early 2000s you had this change to because of Shaun of the dead this change in the style of movies that hollywood wanted to do after that it became more about action comedies And even to this day, I think movies like a big half of like the Marvel movies like James Gunn and the Ant-Man movies and these kinds of things are really still sort of based in the kind of action comedy that came from Wright and came from Shaun of the Dead. And I think you're still operating with that way more than you're operating with, you know, trying to make. I mean, not to say that Tarantino is not influential, but I don't see people trying to copy like Django Unchained as much as they're trying to copy like the Edgar Wright movies. I mean, obviously, Ant-Man was an Edgar Wright movie. And so I think Shaun of the Dead and like Edgar Wright's TV stuff, uh, Spaced, Mm -hmm. sped up comedy. Yeah. You have to have more jokes now. There's like a whole ADD culture of people and comedy in the 90s. There's a lot of them that really weren't funny. This is early 2003. He like joke after joke after joke in that. And nothing is wasted. Well, and also I think what I noticed too is truly like a film student, he is taking a lot of the techniques from like Bay and Wu and these guys of how action movies work and then using it for comedy purposes. Yeah. Using these really high speed cuts, these really sort of wild, you see that in Hot Fuzz a lot where it's just these like zany ideas. I mean, there's literally references to like, you know, Super Cop and he is such a film nerd that he understands when to sort of shift it over and make jokes out of the genre, which goes to like what we were talking about. I would say also one of the ones that's on my list is Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. And the idea also that The Evil Dead directly correlated to Shaun of the Dead and how you don't have a movie like Shaun of the Dead unless you first have a semi-self-aware horror movie zombie thing like The Evil Dead, which is still to this day, I can't watch it by myself because it, is genuinely fucking terrifying. And that's very rare for me because I love horror movies and I'm a total ghoul. And I can watch Friday the 13th and like fall asleep to it. Like it doesn't that's scare scary me. though. It's not scary. It's, it's not scary. It's, it's just a POV knife. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's coming at you it's, for 90 it's minutes. It's just a scary white lady or yeah. her insane son murdering teenagers who who are dildos. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you're and like, it all comes back to Kevin Bacon's dong. That is true. Oh, dude. The Kevin Bacon death scene, though, That's the in great. the original it's one. It's the only reason why people goes remember that neck. movie. Oh, yeah. it's so solid. Like, how did Savini pull this shit off? Because, like, I know that they just made a fake neck, but still, it yeah. probably put Bacon's head through. Okay, I, I'm realizing Real how- fast, super yeah. nerdy. Tom Savini's directorial debut. George Romero's directorial debut. They're both Night of the Living Dead. They're just 30 years apart. Interesting. Interesting. Because also, yeah, George Romero, I mean, obviously, the master. Yeah. And this goes with this, because it goes in order. It's like Night of the Living Dead, 
the Evil Dead, Shaun of the Dead, and this is our dead directorial debuts trilogy. Directly super influential over the culture entirely. Oh yeah, I find that like horror as that weird sort of socially acceptable American porn that like you can watch and be scared at. And it's weird because people can make their directorial debuts in that. That's the crazy thing about the list is like so many people start off making like horror. Like the original film school was Roger Corman. Absolutely. And like the Go-Go Brothers, like I said, like Canon Films. If you don't know what Canon Films are, there's an amazing Netflix documentary called Electric Boogaloo, which is about Canon Films. You should really watch that. That'll kind of explain you who Canon Films are and how they they had a revolutionary idea. They were crazy maniacs who didn't really know how to execute it. And then the Weinsteins would take it. And then the Weinsteins were, well, at least one of them was a real dangerous piece of they, shit. And then, yeah. and then now, but you have like things like a 24 and music box films. And now you have so many Miramaxes running around who have learned how to do this and how to make movie studios out of movies that are, made with stuff that Hollywood would have laughed at in the 90s. Like, the idea of making a movie now for, like, $200,000 is like, that's a $200,000 movie. It has to have uh, both Massimo Modine and uh, the lady from uh, uh, League of Their Own, and it'll be about pirates, and it definitely will not fail. It'll definitely not be a giant failure that somehow, out of that... Tell you what my favorite movie (laughs) is once, and you just mock it all the time now. (laughs) Listen, Cutthroat Island, if you have never seen it, is absolute garbage, and it deserves to have, but it didn't destroy Ronnie Harlan's career. He continued to make movies. I will say that, but that's because of his film debut, Deep Blue Sea, which is not his debut. I don't know. No, <laughs> After Cutthroat Island. I, I'm in Harlan. I am a Scandinavian. The shark comes in on the moon and the shark, he eats everybody except for LL Cool J. He's the coolest. I don't know. I don't know. Just make this movie. That's how I imagined the set. What else you got on the, the napkin there? Also, let me toss one that's kind of in my underrated, but I really like, I'm still waiting to see Under the Silver Lake, but I like David Robert Mitchell. I liked It Follows. I know it gets a lot of flack, but for a movie that- John Carpenter karaoke. John Carpenter karaoke, but man, I but the gall of it, the, the sheer sort of the, man, I'm going to make a movie and if you guys don't like it, screw you. I'm literally just going to use- I mean, Detroit is dilapidated, so I will just use this as a horror movie set so it looks dope. Also, doing that kind of thing, we were talking about Vincent Gallo, how Vincent Gallo is kind of untalented with the exception of his ability to make his female co-stars look incredibly attractive, like, because they appear to be weird enough that maybe we would have a shot with them. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not. Probably not. But I don't remember that conversation <laughs> at all. Maybe I had that with myself. Maybe you're cool enough. Christina Ricci in Buffalo 66, and she was drunk enough and thought you were funny, would make out with you. People like you, Alex Potter. Okay, I remember now. But yes, I think It Follows gets a bad rap. I think because people are like, it was a hipster horror movie. I thought it was cool. I don't think it was a bad movie. I just think it's like watching a rerun. I don't know, man. I thought it was... I thought they it was, also sort of destroy their own like legacy with the ending. Yeah, the ending is the dumb. The third act sort of just falls apart. Also, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that in horror movies where it's like, when you really think about the logic of certain horror movies, but yeah, it follows. It's like, why don't you just cover the thing in like concrete? You know what I'm saying? Like, so then it's just stuck in a brick. And then one day it'll like, you know, maybe escape and that's nightmarish. But at least at the moment, it's literally stuck in a brick of concrete. Yeah. Rather than like a pool that you're electrifying. But I get it. Pools look cool. And they had the pool at the beginning. Anyway. So, what else is on the napkin? I'm going to go with Kimberly Pierce, Boys Don't Cry. Oh, fair. Who, like, literally spent decades after that movie, only be able to direct two movies after that. I know. Um, The other one, I'm surprised you haven't brought up, 
the yeah, the virgin, virgin suicides. suicides. I was gonna. Yeah. It's honestly one of my favorite movies. Period. It's amazingly well made. I shit on all the people who say that like Spike Jones directed it because that's absolutely not true. Just because she was like dating Spike Jones, I'm sure you know maybe he was like on set or something. But her movies are awesome. They all have the same feel. This like hyper real feel. This like everything has this kind of awesome dreamlike quality to it. But it also is still somehow bizarrely real. You know, like the bling ring. It feels like you're in this dream, but it's now. It's L.A. Yeah, now. No, it, like, all her movies feel like you're in someone else's dream. Yeah. We were watching The Limey last week, and you was talking about the 60s. Like, you've been to a place that you've never been to, but you know you've lived there before. Yeah. That's how all of her movies feel. Yeah. I've never been to Tokyo. No. When I watched Lost in Translation, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, this is yeah. what I did when I was absolutely. there. Absolutely. I've never been to 70s Detroit, but I live there because I watched The Virgin Suicides. Like, yeah, absolutely. And transcendently good in the acting performances she get. I, I'm a huge fan of Kirsten Dunst, and it's funny how many awesome directors she works with. And the movies that stand out, she's in that, and she's in, like, Neil Jordan's <laughs> vampire <laughs> uh, interview with the vampire. You know, we were just talking about how I had a weird crush on her because of small soldiers but it was cool because i was also 14 it's not weird it's not weird we we're born in the same year it's fine and also joe dante we haven't talked about our favorite director of all time literally what brought us together yeah. and i don't know what his first movie is that one you were talking about after we saw the burbs at the music box yeah i know that weird uh hollywood horror yeah yeah i saw that in la i guess that is his first movie it's still joe dante it's still funny but he hasn't really come together all the way he's still kind of doing so I wouldn't put it on any of these lists yeah. <laughs> as much as I like him as a director. There's a lot of directorial debuts right. that I just like. It's not. Oh, over- that guy's great, right. but I'm not going to put it on no, there. It's not overrated. It's not underrated. It's it's not, perfectly rated. It's perfectly rated. It's, it's, just, it's a first it's, attempt that has yeah. talent, but is not. Eh. It's a three stars out of five. Also, this is Spinal Tap. Rob Reiner. I don't dislike Rob Reiner, but and I know it's kind of a Christopher Guest Have movie. you seen North? You dislike <laughs> Rob Reiner. Everyone. But, you know, I also have a soft spot for what Harry met Sally. You know, I mean, it's like Billy Crystal is funny. Christopher Guest is funny. Meg Ryan is funny. When he has someone who can kind of control a movie, you know, mime is money. The part where Christopher Guest is just playing the two guitars and he starts taking out the bow for a violin and just... And and it keeps going. It's bordering on genius. It literally is. Personally, my favorite joke in there is just them not being able to find the stage. And every turn they're on, they just turn around. Hello, did you? Oh, shit. Also, the part where Nigel leaves, and then they have to play it like SeaWorld. Oh, yeah. That's. <laughs> and it's so viscerally real of bands who have fallen apart and have fallen on hard times. They have to fucking yeah. play at SeaWorld. It's, it's beyond solid. You know what? I think we should move on. We don't have a ton. We should go into overrated. What's on your overrated list? Donnie Darko. Jesus. See, I disagree. It's so boring. Okay, look. It is so slow. I loved it as a teenager. Brian disagrees I as like, well. I understand that. <laughs> He's cutting me out of the whole podcast, so I don't God, care anymore. The soundtrack is dope. Dickie Kelly's like weird sense of understanding of like what 80s nostalgic weirdos like us wanted. Like, this is what you want. You want him to dress up like the bad guys from Karate Kid. You're like, yes, I do. I don't know why. You want Jenna Malone in this movie. Yes, yes, I do. I don't know why. I have no idea. I don't, why do you hate it? Why do you, or I don't hate it. Oh, I think it's overrated. I think it's overrated just because... This is not Southland Tales and you love Southland Tales? Yes, but also, <laughs> we're not here to discuss my un... Believable <laughs> and uncontrolled love for Southland Tales in the fact that it's the dumbest movie I've ever seen. It's but amazingly dumb. I was a huge Diet Darko fan. I yeah. bought it when the DVD came out. 
My problem was I went, or I won free passes to see the director's cut of Donnie Darko. He added basically in all the footage that was on the deleted scenes of the DVD. Yeah. Changed the music. That sucks. Like, we were going to walk out of it, and we just didn't, so we could see exactly how much he changed. And in that moment, I hated it forever. To be fair, though, director's cuts always suck. I hate They're the director's cut of Aliens. All the all the Cameron director's cuts where he's like, Galen, her divorced me. I'll teach her a lesson and put a bunch of bad crap back into Aliens in the Abyss. Like, no, that's a bad idea. That is a never go with the director's cut. If your movie is a hit, what's up? Brian just brought up a good point. Our producer, Brian Tapps. Except for Blade Runner. Except for Blade Runner. Thank you. However, but see, here's the difference. It goes with my point. Because they took that movie away from him. And that movie was a flop in the beginning because the original cut was dumb and sucked. It was critically praised for how awesome it looked. And Scott was so pissed because he knew there was a movie in there that was one of the greatest movies of all time, which it was. And so he fought to have cuts. But when your movie is a huge, massive hit like Aliens or a big underground hit like Darko, and then you're like, but these clouds don't understand how good the movie could have been. It's like, no, no, don't mess with success. Do not, no, 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 don't mess with things that are, I get where people were like, shit on it, and the director was like, yeah, I know, because they fucked it up. Like, you know, I get that. There are the two, double, I agree with Brian, they're a double-edged sword, but yes, the director's cuts off movies that were successful in the first place. Don't go back and fuck with them. Don't go back and Just fuck with them. them. You're like, changing your first impression of, yes, of yourself. Yes, yes, And when you go back, it's like, oh, this guy's a dickhead. Yes. Yes, no. <laughs> well, I think Dickie Gilly might be a dickhead. but He's a dickhead either way. <laughs> I don't, hey, Dickie, if you're listening to this, if you're a fan of the show, come on the show. I don't come hate Come on the you. show. I will yeah. drink too many beers and call you a dickhead to your face. <laughs> you'll, you'll be fine with it. You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be great. Uh, Plus, you can use the work. Absolutely. That's interesting. Okay, so my overrated that I have on my list was it is a certain movie called Dances with Wolves. It is Kevin Costner's directorial debut. It won Best the Picture. prequel to Waterworld. <laughs> it, allowed, it allowed Kevin Costner to make like five massive budget bombs. I don't hate it. I do overrated. I do appreciate it was one of the first like pro Native American movies of a uh, history of Hollywood being like all Indians are bad. They oh ha or they're like you know Italian guys and like orange face you know being portrayed as idiotically. And here you actually had a movie. But it's nowhere near like Michael Mann's like Last of the Mohicans, which is actually super dope. Oh, it's such a good movie. But it's basically like the crappy version of Last of the Mohicans. At least the story of Natty Bumpo, the initial story of Last of the Mohicans, the character that Daniel Day-Lewis plays is supposed to be a white guy in the book. It doesn't age very well. It has this sort of thing where like, oh, I'm a white man and I'll save you Native American people and oh, you oh, you just don't get it. Like, I mean, it, granted, it is the same story as Avatar, basically, but at the end... I they, never saw it. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. You didn't see the highest grossing movie of all time. Congratulations. I guess it's Avengers now. Never saw it. Oh, Jesus. Don't reveal these things on our movie podcast no, 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 where no. we're supposed to I know things to. about movies. No, no, uh, I know things about movies. I don't have to see. <laughs> I know, I know. You're a little more indie. I'm a little more mainstream. I get that. But Last of the Weekends, it won Best Picture. It allowed Kevin Costner to be this international Not star. Not Last of the with Wolves. Excuse me. Tatanka. 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 Uh, <laughs> and it also, of course, the main female character had to be a white lady, too, because you can't have Kevin Costner making out with a... Native American lady, that would be we. It just literally had these Hollywood tropes that now are sort of glaring, where it doesn't age well, as opposed to, you know, sort of Last of the Mohicans, which was the kind of movie that, you know, when studios fight, it's like, they're making a big budget Native American movie. We're making a big budget Native American movie. But it won Best Picture, and it allowed Kevin Costner to be this 
big international megastar and literally ruined studios with huge bombs. Granted, Waterworld is patently insane, but Wyatt Earp is one of the biggest bombs of all time and sucks. It sucks. You forget with The Postman. The Postman also... That lost a lot. Because Waterworld lo- made money. No. It made its money back. Did it? That yeah. seems that seems like a lie. Through well, the toys. It was the 90s. Also, uh, <laughs> you know... The 90s were a very dumb time. Also, I love the story of that. A little girl with a tattoo on her back points to what? How can a tattoo point to anything? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Anyway, I love that they're all riding around on jet skis, which need gas. Right, like they got plenty of gas to ride around in jet skis, but they need water. That is just, anyway. But Dance with Wolves, my mom was a big fan of it, so I had to watch it several times. I feel uh, like this whole ranch is because you you got into a fight <laughs> with your mom or something. No, no, I like my mom. She has good taste in movies, but now it it's just overrated. It's not a bad movie. It has some good acting performances. It's not it's not a garbage movie, but it is overrated. Also overrated, yes. And I don't think it aged well. Is Clerks by Kevin Smith. Very interesting. Yeah. Definitely also another one that really kind of changed the culture of what was comedies at the time. First kind of actual Gen X movie, possibly. I know what you mean, though. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Well, guess what? The Gen Xers were really into slut shaming. They, yeah. Yeah. And being, the running gag of that movie. And being 37 real, blowjobs. Absolutely. And gay bashing and being really weird. Actually, probably the funniest bit still is probably Jason Mewes. Strangely yeah. enough, just him outside being like... Snickety, 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 like yeah. literally nonsense just being a human cartoon character <laughs> kind of stands up better than like anything else i agree i but i will say as me and you are both filmmakers as well there is something to be said though i appreciate uh, it i appreciate i appreciate, I appreciate it. overrated yes but yeah. man the element that's not overrated is the sheer seat of your pants fucking kevin smith committed credit card fraud he took out like 15 credit cards using the video store that he worked at, fitting for our podcast, using the address of the video store, using different names, fake names, took out all these credit cards, maxed them out, made the fucking movie, it went to Sundance, and he made a... If that movie fails, that man goes to jail. Yes. Like, I give Kevin Smith the sheer bravery of that. Like, that he's literally... I think El Mariachi is overrated. Absolutely. But the fact that Robert Rodriguez put himself through Same thing. science testing, yes, absolutely. he could have contracted any type of like weird disease from like some sort of shit they gave him. He could have had some weird outbreak. He probably could have died. Yeah, no, he but just signed it all away so he could get seven grand to make a movie. Absolutely. I mean, I've always thought Robert Rodriguez was kind of a fail. He's a hack. Know. He's a hack. He's he is absolutely the, yeah. a true hack who was also luckily propped up because he was like befriended. Quentin Tarantino and Quentin Tarantino allowed him to sort of ride his coattails because Dust Till Dawn is kind of a fun movie. The first half. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's so weird. The, the, fact the that worst Clooney's part of a vampire movie. movie is when the vampires show up. <laughs> It's, it's kind sort of true. Of, it it bums me out for 20 years, it, man. It really does. The fact that like these huge stars, the fact that Clooney is in it, international megastar, yeah. George Clooney. Still with his Caesar haircut. With his, uh, classic Clooney. Oh, yeah. Classic Clooney. Not the like the sort of weird curl fro he's got when he's Aunt Jackie's boyfriend. Uh, no, no, no. But like, yeah, like. He didn't get shit done with ER, me with that. Like, yeah. The fact that he's not getting paid enough to cut his ER haircut. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, I'll make this movie, but I literally cannot change my hair. That's yeah. impossible. No, that's interesting. What, what else you got on your overrated napkin Overrated paper? Wes Craven's Last House on the Left. Yeah, it's basically just a porno. Yeah, it's basically just like a rape fantasy for people to watch. It's really gross. Yeah. But people always include that in like the best horror films ever made. Yeah. And it's just sort of gross. Same thing with I Spit on Your Grave, 
Like these movies like ride in tandem of just being They're really creepy and weird. I agree with that. And I love Wes Craven. That's one of those ones where it's not a very good movie. It doesn't age well. No, but it's not at all. Him understanding what scares suburban white people and him understanding like if I put this movie out now doing this shit, pushing this boundary, it's going to sell. So it's kind of that same thing where I give it credit from the production side but yeah, no, it's yeah, rapey. No. It's, it's weird. It's super it's, gross. It's, it's very. What do you got? I uh, hear this. Oh, here it is. Okay, I'm dropping it. I'm dropping it. I've talked about this before. Badlands. Okay, I love the Thin Red Line. It's not on my list. I love some of the elements of Terrence Malick. Uh, I think Terrence Malick. It's the element of like I just think it's overrated. Like I love Spacek. I think Sheen's a good actor. I just. It was like not, boring. It's, and you either are like a Malik person who's like, I get this. I love boring. Oh, I found out so hard in the last 14 <laughs> years. I am not a diehard Malik yeah, fan. Yeah. Okay. So, like, Malik right. has Malik pacing. Yeah. Malik in the 70s is Malik times 70s pacing. Yes. And it's yes. just ungodly it's slow. It's so slow. I get how beautiful it is. Yeah. I get how there are moments that are good, there are moments that are great. Where people are just like, it's number yeah, three no. in the greatest director of the business. Uh, like, putting it ahead of, like, John Houston's The Maltese Falcon. Putting it ahead of, like, even Duel, which I understand is just Jaws with a truck. And he's like, what if I did this where it wasn't as stupid? Truck still looks fake. <laughs> it's like, but the idea that, you know, that people are just like, kissing its ass yeah. so hard. It's all right. It's- no, because of Badlands, because of Days of Heaven. Yeah. And, like... He kept following up with these movies, and they kept getting better up until right. the first half of the New World. But like, yeah. he has been making nothing but shit. Yeah, literally after the first half of the New World, it's like oh. as soon as you see Christian Bale, his career just ends. It's kind of true. Yeah, but they look dope. They're amazing. He's still an amazing cinematographer. He really understands yeah. how to make things look. Terrence dope. Malick movies, other than like Days of Heaven, Thin Red Line, the first half of the New World, right are great movies to have on during a party. Yes. When you're inviting over a bunch of nerds, just have it on mute, play music, and go, hey, look at this shot. Look at this shot. This is amazing. All natural lighting. And you go back to ignoring it. Or totally, or you have it like on a projector at like a cool indie bar or something. It looks dope. You don't have to listen to it. It's fucking cool. You could set it up at Emporium, have it playing behind there, have Brian's band play in front of it. Yes, absolutely. It'd be great. Yes. But what I'm saying, okay, what else you got on your underrated? We're we're almost out of time. Overrated. This is fish in a barrel, though. Yeah. Garden State. Oh fuck yeah! Fuck <laughs> ah, fuck that turd. Oh, if we're going, yeah, I guess if we're going like overrated, overrated like debuts, that's mm, yeah, that's probably up there. It's a hundred million dollar movie. That's a, what? Wait, it made a hundred million. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh like, no, they they made like, it. <laughs> I was like, who would give Zach Braff? Yeah. No, they had to give all that money to the shins. <laughs> yeah. The I mean, like someone was talking to me about how they thought. I personally think Bottle Rocket is amazing. I think Bottle Rocket oh, yeah. is like Bottle Rocket. Great movie. Bottle Rocket was like a force of nature when I saw it. I like I'm out. James you're Khan. out. I'm pretty sure you're out. Yeah. No gang. Like literally, James L. Brooks registering. He saw a five minute short and was like, "I'll give these guys yeah. five million bucks." Like on that, just on the dude they're robbing. Don't yell at me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, uh, we're gonna need you uh, in the front of the store. Um, because we're robbing the store. Also, there's another guy who, the late 90s, when Wes Anderson's movies start coming out, that's the end of like how comedies worked before that. Like, because Also, someone we didn't bring up, Heart 8, P.T. Oh, well, yeah. Same thing for me, though. That's not P.T.'s best movie. It's not his best movie. It's not overrated. It's not underrated. It's, on, it's, it's Heart on 8. Point. It's like, 
it's good, but you know, I love PT. I think he's the second most talented director of all time. Same with like uh, I was looking at what is it? It's uh, it's not Passive Glory. It's some you know fifties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're real. We're real Kubrick nerds. I know, and I. It's some fifties. You know, but it's he was in the Hollywood Fear and Desire. Fear and Desire, and Kubrick was in the studio system, and he made a movie, and it's good, but it's you know fifties. He made a movie. Yeah, I will say this though. He's still at that point was not making like John Houston's the Maltese Falcon is fucking dope as fuck. It also still stands up. It also uses a lot of tropes that almost every single thriller or noir uses in some way. And still to this day, no one knows where that statue is. Oh, I got it over here in my milk crate. <laughs> this means strangling Nick in order to get to, I'll kill my best friend in order to get this. And then I'll knock out my other good friend, Brian Tips in order to get, oh, this is my Maltese Falcon. You, you want it, you can have it. Thank you. That's very nice of you. Let's take an extra beer. All right, we'll tell you what. Well, let's do one more overrated, and then that's the first Blockbuster Film School episode in the bag. And I think it was the greatest podcast episode ever recorded. I, of course, have gotten hit in the head several times and don't know where I am most of the time. One more? Yeah, let's do one more. I just wrote down Noah Bombeck because I <laughs> hate Noah Bombeck. Oh, and you I hate, hate Noah Bombeck? I hate. Is this Squid and the Whale? No, it's not. Is that his first one? No, it's kicking and screaming, I think. I've never actually seen it. I have a soft spot for the squid and the whale. But that's because I'm in love with this woman who really was into it. But that's, you know, here nor there. Yeah, kicking and screaming. No. No, Bombeck. Seen it. That's the one where Will Ferrell coaches a soccer team and Mike Ditka's his opponent. You know right? what's hilarious? <laughs> Amazon Prime has that movie on there, but their photo is fucking Will Ferrell on his knees, like in the leopard suit with his hands in the air. Yeah. I was like, you're really confusing me right now. I'm a little drunk, and I'm not sure how badly I want to watch this to find out what it is. Uh... <laughs> That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. I'm going to toss out a couple of movies that I don't necessarily think are like super overrated. Well, okay. Here's the one that I had overrated. I love George Miller, and two of the four Mad Max movies are unstoppably amazing. And two of the four are, are Mad Max and Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> yes, and they are doofy. Yeah. And whenever anyone has George Miller's Mad Max, it made money. But it is overrated. It is yeah, not a very it's good, overrated. It's not a very good movie. He no. came into his own. He made The Road Warrior. It's amazing. But All right. We got this Mad Max. Well, you want to come with us? Two days ago, I saw a vehicle to pull that tanker. You want to get out of here? Talk to me. Yes, also, it, I'm not going to lie. I'm one of those guys. I saw Road Warrior first yeah. at a sleepover. Mm-hmm. And then we watched. I oh, saw Mad Max later. I was just like. What is this? Why isn't this Road Warrior? <laughs> right. It's like. It's Can the, I see Road Warrior again? Also, Mad Max is like. 80s horror movie quality and then all of a sudden the road warrior is like better than action movies that had ever come out before yeah and it wasn't really that big in changing money this is actually what i'm saying with the overrated mad max but at the same point this is to george miller's talent he managed to be like okay now i know what to do better i can make the mad max movie only it's going to be awesome this time and all the kind of goofy shit i had in the first one that i couldn't afford or didn't know how to do i know how to do it this time so yeah that's that's one. Shout out to, not overrated, but shout out to Gummo. We didn't mention Gummo. It's on my list. Uh, I like Harmony Har- I love Harmony Corinne. And also, we didn't mention him at all, which is crazy for us, but fucking Eraserhead. I'm not a huge fan, but I also okay. don't think it's overrated, though. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's perfectly rated. Exactly. Same thing. Although I will say, underrated. I truly believe underrated, except to the nerds. You mentioned it before, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, yeah. Tim uh, Burton. Tim Burton. Maybe Tim Burton's best film all the way no Beetlejuice but the last 20 minutes of Beetlejuice has more plot holes in it than yeah topical yeah but it's also (laughs) 
<laughs> it's insane, though. Uh, but just edited a Zack Snyder yeah. <laughs> reference right there. Also, fuck Zack Snyder. What was his first movie? I don't Dawn know. of the Dead. Oh, shit, you're right. That's James Gunn. You That's know, James Gunn. You know James Gunn standing by the camera with him. Actually, like, James Gunn wasn't there for the show. Really? Because he went on to go write Scooby-Doo. Interesting. He that, uh, didn't want to be around Zack Snyder enough to go write Scooby-Doo. I mean, honestly, because... When I saw Dawn of the Dead, it's great. And it really has some amazing stuff in it. But it also has a whole lot of Zack Snyder shit. It really does. It does. It's but also not a horror movie. It's an action movie. Right. They do play Jim Carroll's All My Friends Are Dead at the end, which I really appreciated. So did XRT. Dude, I love Jim Carroll, though. He's my favorite poet. But yeah, okay, so we will continue directorial debuts, but that is the end of episode one of Blockbuster Film School. I hope you learned something. I hope you watched some movies. I think of all the movies we talked about, what's the movie that you would say go watch right now? Uh, if they haven't seen it, I'm still going to go with Akira. Akira is pretty dope. Yeah. I would say that. If you've never seen Shaun of the Dead, then you have to see Shaun of the Dead. It will explain to you the culture that you live in currently in a way. And also, like, Simon Pegg, there's just something about him. He's an absolutely... Everybody in that movie, they... They're all top of their game. It's absolutely top of the game. It's top of the game. I think people should watch Dances with Wolves just to see what I'm talking about. And if you want to know something about the 90s and how big-budget 90s Oscar movies were made and what's wrong with them and what's wrong with sort of, like, weird mega pro-white culture, like, watch... You know, Dance with Wolf. It's weird. I'm also going to throw out, watch Zero Effect if you can find Hell it. Hell yeah. Okay, agree. I, yeah. That's actually the one I'm going to watch. Yeah. I was literally thinking of that. So, all right, well, what's your name? You're a very handsome boy. My name is Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. <laughs> My name is Garth Algar. I'm Alex Bonner. That's Nicholas Souter. This is Blockbuster Film School. We're going to have episode two coming up. We don't know what the topic will be, but... Hit us up on iTunes. Hit us up wherever podcasts are. Give us the five stars like, you know, everybody begs for on podcasts. And um, Downloads for free on Napster. Down- <laughs> Just hit up Sean Fanning. Uh, we're probably going to have a Facebook page up very, very soon, at which point we'd love for you guys to interact with us. Tell us what you want to hear, what you want to learn more about. We'll tell you all about the films, the movies, and, um, you know, long live uh, um, celluloid. I don't know. Da, 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 also, send us all your free VHS. Yes. Yeah, super thanks to Brian Tapps, our amazing super producer. He's Thank the you, greatest person in the history of sound, recording, engineering. Shit all over that Beatles yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I love you all, and I'll see you uh, in a week.